Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Who is the man who melts into shadows? Who knows the best things in life? Are stolen. I like a man with scars. Mr. Lester, how did you get them? What difference does it make as long as you enjoy what you're doing? Who could ever be this hot? Mr. Lester, I need a place to hide when you go to jail. And stay the school. I'm not going. When the law has a job they can't handle, they turn to a man outside the law. You know what it is? It's a frame. What did I do? Well, I'm disordered, Jet. Lassiter. Have you ever killed anyone, Mr. Lassiter? Premieres Friday, February 1st on Cinemax. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Lassiter from 1984. The studio is Warner Brothers. Release date was February 17, 1984. The running time, 100 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget, $20 million. The box office took in $17.5 million, making it the 58th ranked movie of 1984. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. Here's a basic rule about throwers. Style is a lot more important than plot. What happens isn't nearly as important as how it happens and who it happens to. And if you doubt me, think back over to your favorite James Bond movies. Lassiter is a good example. Here's a movie with a plot spun out of thin air. That doesn't matter, though, because the movie is acted and directed with such a style that we have fun slogging through the silliness. And part of the fun comes from watching Tom Selleck, the hero of Magnum P.I., in a movie that does him justice. He was wasted in High Road to China, which looked like a Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff with Selleck plugged into the Harrison Ford role. Lassiter is a movie that seems to have been made with Selleck in mind, and he delivers. He's clearly one of the few actors capable of making the leap from TV to the big screen. Selleck occupies the world of crime effortlessly. He is a big man, and yet he moves gracefully. He wears a tuxedo well, makes charming small talk, doesn't seem to be straining himself during the fight scene, and, in general, stands at the center of a lot of action as he belonged there. He would make a good James Bond. Lassiter knows that, and knows that style and movement are a lot more important than making sense of everything. I squirm when the action stops in a thriller while the characters explain everything to one another. I think of one of those speeches as memos from the screenwriter to the director. Lassiter stops for nothing. And that's the end of Ebert's review. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've always been a huge fan of Tom Selleck, starting with watching Magnum P.I. as a kid. My parents were also huge fans, and since they bought our first VCR in the mid-1980s, Tom Selleck films seemed to be frequent of our home rentals. And I'm sure I saw Lassiter at some point as a kid, even though it was rated R, which is only because of a few nude scenes. Okay, let's get into the main cast. So you have Tom Selleck, of course, that plays Nick Lassiter. I've already covered Selleck's career in past episodes, but in 1984, he was still going strong on Magnum P.I. Lassiter would be Tom Selleck's second film, with High Road to China being his first feature in 1983 that Ebert mentioned. 
Again, Ebert wasn't a fan, and yes, it's sort of a Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff, but the film, to me, is still enjoyable, and we'll cover it at some point on a future episode. Jane Seymour plays Sarah. Seymour was very well known by 1984 as her career began in the early 70s. Her best-known films up until Lasseter were Live and Let Die, which was a James Bond flick with Roger Moore, the film version of Battlestar Galactica, and Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve. Seymour appeared in many TV movies and miniseries during the 70s and 80s. Lauren Hutton plays Carrie Von Fursten. Hutton's career began as a very popular fashion model before pivoting into movies. Hutton, of course, was gorgeous. She was a model after all, but she had a unique look because she had a bit of a gap in her front teeth, which actually made her more recognizable. Her most notable films prior to Lasseter were The Gambler with James Caan, Gator with Burt Reynolds, American Gigolo with Richard Gere, and Zorro, the gay blade with George Hamilton. Bob Hoskins plays Inspector John Becker. Now, most younger fans, of course, including me, were introduced to Hoskins from the Disney film Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 1988. However, Hoskins' career began in the 1970s, starring in British films and TV shows. His most notable films were 1980's The Long Good Friday, Pink Floyd's film adaptation of The Wall, where he played a rock and roll manager, and Beyond the Limit with Michael Caine and Richard Gere. The director was Roger Young. Now, Young began as a TV commercial director before getting into television shows. He directed, actually, the two-hour pilot of Magnum P.I. He also directed a few episodes of Knott's Landing. That was my mom's favorite. (laughs) And then 14 episodes of Lou Grant, the TV show. My uncle's favorite, which that's an inside joke. Just go listen to the Jazz Singer episode (laughs) with Neil Diamond. Lasseter would be Roger Young's feature film debut, focusing mostly on TV films, though he did direct a version of The Born Identity, the first version in 1988, which was a miniseries. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So Tom Selleck actually agreed to make Lasseter before High Road to China came out, thinking he really needed a backup plan in case High Road to China bombed. Now, I wonder if Lasseter would have been a better film to be his debut, because at the time, Ebert certainly seemed to think so. Selleck was super busy and on a tight shooting schedule with Magnum P.I., so he only had a small window of time to film Lasseter while Magnum was on a filming break for three months. Jane Seymour loved playing evil roles, but wanted a change of pace for Lasseter, and she said she left all of the evil to Lauren Hutton, and that's really the truth. <laughs> Seymour was also able to play a British character, which was different from her American roles. Of course, if you didn't know, Seymour is British. Seymour had two and a half weeks of tap dancing training for her role, which she had never done before. Even though she was a trained dancer and ballerina, tap dancing is completely different. Okay, let's get into the film, and let me preface this by saying there is basically no film clips out there to find. So if you can find this film, watch it. I will describe the best I can. Normally, I like to throw in these film clips for some change of pace so you don't just hear me talking. But again, I can only give you what's available. And what's available is my voice. So enjoy. So the film begins with Cat Burglar, Nick Lasseter. That's Tom Selleck breaking into a mansion in London. The film is supposed to take place in 1939 during the early stages of World War II in Europe. The Nick Lasseter character is suave and debonair, similar to the John Roby character Cary Grant played in the film To Catch a Thief with Grace Kelly and, of course, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. For his current heist to Jules, Lasseter has to deal with the owners of the house returning in the middle of his break-in. Lasseter is almost spotted by the husband as he hangs from the staircase. However, he is discovered by the much younger wife who pulls a gun on Lasseter, but it's really a cigarette lighter. 
The wife seems bored by her older husband and is attracted to Lassiter, so she tells Lassiter to hide in her bathroom in order to have some fun with him and tells her husband she wants to take a bath alone and relax. Of course, the husband is clueless. It's a funny scene. When the wife returns to have her tryst with Lassiter, he's escaped through the bathroom window along with the jewels. Lassiter is married to a stage dancer named Sarah. That's Jane Seymour. Even though Lasser often gets away with his high-priced heists, he's always on the radar of the police, and he's brought in to be part of a lineup for the recent burglary. Lasseter is picked from the lineup. The police inspector that is most eager to nab Lasseter is John Becker, that's Bob Hoskins. The lineup, of course, was a frame job and admitted by Becker because they want Lasseter to work for them on an impossible mission, and they really don't care if he makes it out alive because he's a criminal. Becker's lackey is an FBI agent named Peter Breeze, played by Joe Rigobudo, who is best known for playing Frank Fontana on Murphy Brown. The German embassy in London is essentially a Nazi headquarters at this point in time. The embassy will be receiving a shipment of uncut diamond worth over $10 million. Becker and Breeze want Ladder to steal those diamonds to severely hurt the finances of the Nazis and the progress they're making in invading Europe. But Lasseter has no interest in being part of this heist. But if he doesn't cooperate, he'll be thrown in jail for trumped-up charges since he's already a convicted felon from the past. And if Lasseter gets caught by the Nazis, well, he's on his own. The plan set for Lasseter is to woo the top German spy and courier in the embassy named Kerry von Fursten, played by Lauren Hutton. Once Lasseter is invited to, into the inner circle, the theory is that he'll have access to the diamonds and then steal them. However, getting close to Carrie won't be easy, as she is constantly monitored by a bodyguard named Max Hoffer, played by William Clark. He was dim in the film A Clockwork Orange. Carrie is ruthless and sadistic, and she discovers one of the men that she's sleeping with was an opposing agent, and she kills him with a long, sharp needle to his neck in the middle of them having sex. She could have been in Basic Instinct. The dead FBI agent is connected to Breeze and left naked on the side of a pier. One of Lasseter's friends is a car thief nicknamed Smoke. He's played by Ed Lauder. You might remember him as one of the foremen in the original Longest Yard. Smoke can hook Lasseter up with all sorts of things, especially cars, as he runs a car chop shop. Lasseter's introduction to Carrie is at a fancy casino where he uses his charm and influence with the owner to meet Carrie. This is where you can really see James Bond being the influence in this film. Carrie's immediately smitten with Lasseter. She then takes him to an underground fight club where it's no holds barred. She kind of gets off on the brutal violence, and she also loves cocaine. She even has blood spattered from one of the fighters land on her cheek, and she wipes it off and then tastes it. Seeing the men beat up each other really turns her on. Carrie insists that Lasseter go home with her and kisses him and bites his lip, which draws blood. Lasseter turns down her invite, which she coolly accepts, but makes her want him even more. In the meantime, Sarah found lipstick on Lasseter's collar and, of course, is not happy about it. Lasseter can't tell her what's going on because he doesn't want to involve her and potentially put her in danger. However, Lasseter does eventually tell Sarah what's going on about the diamonds, but conveniently leaves out the carry angle. Lasseter and Smoke decide to tail Agent Breeze to keep an eye on his whereabouts. Thankfully for Breeze, because Lasseter's tailing him, one of the Nazi agents decided to set fire and blow up his houseboat. Lasseter saves Breeze just in the nick of the time. Lasseter decides to visit Inspector Becker at his home to say he's getting out of this. If Becker can't even protect Breeze, Lasseter has zero chance of making it out alive. But Becker is cold and callous and won't budge. 
Laster must continue on his mission or he's going to jail. Laster also finds out that FBI agent inside has been killed. Really, Laster is in a no-win situation. Lasseter tries to get out of London and bring Sarah, but is caught on the train by Becker, who again gives him the ultimatum, diamonds or jail. We also find out that even if Lasseter gets the diamonds, Becker's going to throw Lasseter in jail regardless. It's one of those films where you root for the thief, because frankly, he's more honorable than the law. Paris. Milan. Rome. Venice. Istanbul. Istanbul? No. No. Is it really this easy? All the really important things are going with me. Hmm. I like that. Why do you always do that? Do what? You always eat my food. I like it better. Well, if you wanted the chicken, why didn't you order it? I wanted the veal. You ordered the veal? <laughs> this way I can have food. Ladies and gentlemen, Folkestone, in ten minutes. We'll be in Paris in time for dinner. Mmm, Paris. I'm gonna eat like a pig. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm impressed. You're meant to be. Oh, Sarah, this is Inspector Becker, about whom I've told you so many wonderful things. I'm gonna make a speech. Now, three things can happen to you, boy. All of them are good for me. One, you go in there and get the diamonds, and I get a pat on the back for a job the boys upstairs couldn't do. Two, you go in there and they kill you. I'd rather like that. Three, you don't go in there. And I put you away for 20 to life. And you grow old in a cage. And I'd really like that. The only good thing for you is to get the diamonds. Today is Monday. The diamonds arrive on Wednesday. If they're not in my hand by Friday, you're my meat. Come on, darling. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Oh, don't even think of getting off this train until he gets back to London. Oh, Becker, you don't have any faith in people. It's a very unattractive trait. You really hate him. Why? He's a thief. There are a lot of thieves. What are you, Breeze? Hey? FBI? Now, what's that? I'm a copper. There's nothing easy in me, nothing. I don't forgive, and I don't forget. Pretty boy there was a thief yesterday. He's a thief now, and he'll try and be a thief tomorrow, but not here. Not on my patch. We made a deal with him. Hold on me a child, Breeze. 20 to 1, the Germans will kill him in there. That's possible. But if he gets out and lives up to his part of the deal, you're going to put him in jail anyway, aren't you? Of course I will. It's where he belongs. The police try to keep tabs on Laster by following him but he often loses the tail because that's his expertise. Lasseter also has a plan of not turning over the diamonds to Becker, but a fence and keeping the money for himself. 
Lasser likely knows in the back of his mind that Becker would never let him go free, even if he turns over the diamonds. Sarah and Lasser do a little fun recon and subterfuge, hiring a young boy to play Sarah's son as he runs around the German embassy. Sarah chases the boy around the various parts of the embassy, also being chased by the guards. And by doing this, Sarah knows all of the entrances and where the guards are located for Lasseter to try to break in when he tries to steal the diamonds. While that part of the plan goes well, Sarah is very upset by the idea of Lasseter seducing Carrie in order to get into the embassy. That wasn't part of the plan in her mind, and she makes a scene at a nightclub, in which Carrie is also seated at their table. Sarah is justly upset as Lasseter does end up sleeping with Carrie at the embassy in order to access the main safe, which he discovers does not contain much of anything that is very valuable. That means the diamonds are being hidden in another place. This incenses Becker, who tells Laster he has to go back into the embassy that night and get the diamonds, or he's finished. So, what will Lasseter do? I will say the last 30 minutes are terrific, and filled with twists and turns, and the ultimate outcome should surprise you. It's very well done. Again, I've always been a huge fan of Tom Selleck, and this is likely a film that you missed, unless you were my parents who saw most of his films in the 1980s when they were originally released. Also, if you're simply just a fan of mystery thrillers, this is a really good one, so I highly recommend you check it out. I will leave you with the only clip, besides the trailer, that I could find for this film as the clumsy Agent Breeze is talking to Laster about his meager income as an FBI agent. All right. Boy. This is quite a joint. How much did you make last year? You know how much I made? $3,123. What'd you do? Ten times that? Probably more, right? Please, stop it. You don't have the temperament for the work. No, 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 no. I'm just asking, that's all. No, you're thinking. Leave it alone. It'll get you in trouble. You know... I might not mind that. I'm pretty sure a cop remember one of Hoover's fair-haired boys. It's a job, not a breeze. Religious... Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, what time are you meeting her? Soon. Are you sure it's going to be that easy? You're unbelievable. I... What if she doesn't let you in tonight? Or the two of you might get into an argument. You know, she might have a headache. Yeah, you're right. Why don't you make yourself a drink, Breeze? <sighs> Good idea. All right, some fun facts. Laster is the only movie where Jane Seymour is seen nude. She is seen from the rear and the side. And if you were wondering, yes, you see Lauren Hutton also briefly nude when she kills the FBI agent in bed. Jane Seymour's character had to slap Tom Selleck in one scene, and she accidentally hit him. And that's the shot that was included in the film. You gotta love realism. All right, we have a special guest who has never seen this film, and that is Lindsay. So let's get her fresh take about how she feels about Laster. We already got her thoughts about Tom Selleck back on the Her Alibi film, so we'll see if she actually likes this better than that film. And she actually liked that film. So let's see what happens, and I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection.
Okay, we're back with Lindsay. Welcome back. Hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me again. Okay, so this time we picked another good movie. Thank goodness. And another Tom Selleck movie for you. Um, and this one's called Lassiter. It didn't do necessarily that great at the box office. It didn't do horribly, but it didn't make back its initial budget. Why do you think that is? Because it seemed like a pretty good story. It is a pretty good story, and I guess since it was made in 84, I can't speak to why this wouldn't have made bank at the box office. But the only thing that I can think of is that the very beginning where they're trying to set up the story of how Tom Selleck's character, Nick Lasseter, got into this situation, got himself sort of in this spot, um, they don't really explain what led to that predicament very well. That was the only thing, one of my only criticisms about the film is that it wasn't very clear what the pre-story mm -hmm. to this movie was and how he ended up in London in sort of World War Two, you know, in the midst of Nazi Germans trying to you know, get himself out of being roped into doing this caper. Do you think this would have been a, a film that would have done better if it took place in modern times instead of 1939? I mean, maybe. I actually like the period piece oh, of I it. It's too. funny to see a 30s, late 30s thing in the, in the mid-80s. Right, but they did and a good job. I actually like that, and they yeah. did. If they did it today and it were modern, it probably all would have been about the mob. Yeah. This would have been he owed the mob something or he was – you know, a former cop that then needed to repay a debt by putting someone away. Like, it would have been something along those lines. Sure. Whereas, I don't know, I kind of liked the period aspect of this. Okay. I personally think that Tom Selleck was the perfect person to play this because he can play suave, but he can also play tough, which is what he was always good at. Um, do, do you think he was cast well as the... Oh, yeah. Okay. He seemed like a shoe in and I think I said to you when we were watching the film, it's so funny, most... Actors today are almost expected or responsible to morph themselves right. to fit the character they're playing. Like, look at some of the incredible physical transformations that people like uh, Christian Bale yep. and Ben Affleck um, Matt and Damon. Matt Damon have put themselves through. Even Charlize Theron, right? Mm -hmm. These crazy physical transformations to get into these characters. And Tom Selleck is the one character. It's almost like this is what he is and he looks like. And any character he ever plays has to fit that aesthetic. The right. mustache, the sort of tall, dark, and handsome. Even today when he's been on that Blue Bloods show yeah. on network television, like, he looks exactly the same. Yeah. But his sort of cool guy, suave you know, take no crap from nobody thing, it, it really did fit this character. So I think he was extremely well cast. But I do think it's really humorous yeah. that almost every role he ever played had to fit him instead of the other way around. Well, you could look at it this way. This was an era where they actually had movie stars. And he definitely was a movie and television star. Yeah. Tom's, you people would, I know my family goes see a movie because he was in it or watch a show because he was in it. Oh, for sure. And yeah. to this day, I still go see yeah. Matt Damon, Ben sure. Affleck, Christian Bale films yeah. because I pretty much know that their names on the marquee yeah. is synonymous with quality. Right. I know I'm most, most likely going to see a really great film or Matthew McConaughey for example if mm -hmm. they were in it yep. even even someone like Jared Leto another one oh, of those yeah. transformative kind of guys mm -hmm. um, 
So yeah, I, I wouldn't blame someone for seeing this just for Tom Selleck. Well, what's interesting about this film is actually the cast is great, the supporting cast. So you got Jane Seymour, Lauren Hutton, and Bob Hoskins, and a number of other side characters that you would know from other films. So I think that's why this film actually holds up pretty well. As, as but the story's great, but the but I think the the acting's very well done. Oh yeah, I mean I it's even cheeky and funny mm-hmm. at times. Uh, even the opening scene where he's like broken into yeah obviously an aristocrat's home where the wa- the wife we would assume or 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 live in love right is completely bored with her elderly husband and and sees him breaking into the house and essentially wants to seduce him right and he's a burglar right like it's kind of crazy but only he can kind of pull off the cheeky suave moments you know with the total aplomb it was very tom Selleck and almost kind of funny so there were some humorous moments in this and he's pretty good at that you know i we've seen him in um her alibi not that long yep. ago which three men and a baby did together three men and a baby so he's got some slapsticky elements but this one was more like the suave elements of his right. of his humor i think he was trying to get out of being typecast as magnum at this point because um, he was also in a movie called high road to china where it's almost kind of an indiana jones ripoff and so i think originally he was supposed to do this film first and then high road to china actually ended up being reversed um, so his theory is that, well, maybe this didn't do that well because he did two period pieces uh, in a row. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. What did you really like about this film and what didn't – you kind of already mentioned what you didn't really like. So what did you really like about this film? I liked that it held my attention. I was interested in the story. Like I thought the story was pretty good. This mm-hmm. guy, you know, career thief – uh, very well known in you know law enforcement circles. They need his help to do something that's definitely not legal. And of course, they go to the best of the best that they can't seem to catch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that that plot. Mm-hmm. I think that's really well thought out. We've seen it before. It's not the first time we've seen something like this. But I really like the the way that story kind of weaves itself. It's like this guy is stuck, and I like the idea that he's. You're never really sure who he's playing because he is sort of switching between I'm I'm going to help them. No, I'm not going to help them. I'm going to help them. No, I'm not going to help them. Mm-hmm. Or the the sort of flips in script with like the Jane Seymour character, for example. She's obviously his serious love interest yeah. while he has to feign interest and lust and such for other characters in the film, mm-hmm. like Warren Hutton, to get done what he's wanting to get done here without making spoiler alerts. Yeah. Um, but I like that. Jane Seymour was kind of in on some of this stuff at parts. Mm-hmm. Or you couldn't tell. Was she in on it? Was she not in on it? No, that's you know, good. Was um, the Peter Breeze character yeah. um, who the, was the played... FBI. Yeah, FBI. yeah, who was played by uh, Joe Regalbuto. Yeah. Who's, you know, Murphy Brown. A, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like, I know him from other things, Murphy Brown included, but he's, I don't know, like, kind of a well-known character yeah. actor. I've seen him plenty of other stuff, and he's a good actor. You, you don't really know, is he is he with him, is he against him? Is he with him, right. is he against him? So I really liked the, the flip guessing. script. It did keep you guessing. I love period pieces, especially from like this time. So I like the music and I like the costume and mm-hmm. I just like the way that feels. Um, it seems like it's sort of a simpler time, but yet there's a classy sophistication to it that I just enjoy watching. And I thought the film captured... That well, even for something in the 80s, I thought it, it had that like vibe. I mean, films don't look the same like physically. They aren't shot the no. same in the 80s as they are today. So I feel like if this was done today, it would be sort of 
less fuzzy. It would be sort of more sharp. But there was something. I, I almost know, like charming. it better the other yeah. way. Yeah. There's something charming about the way it like looked and felt. Yeah. I and also I liked, liked how, that. I liked how Bob Hoskins, the Bob Hoskins character, where he, he's a Scotland Yard guy. Yeah. Um, he never lets up. I mean, he he makes no bones that he hates Lassiter and he doesn't care if he gets killed. No. Um, and so that's kind of almost unique because usually they straddle that line where oh at the end they'll end up liking him. There's no liking of no. Lassiter. He hated this guy yeah. mm-hmm. and and he clearly had absolutely no love for him and he just wanted like man whatever happens like do this for me and we get what we want to get. And don't do happens, this for me. Yeah. I don't care. Do it for me and be successful. I don't care. Yeah, that was. There was never a flip-flop on his end, which yep. was interesting. Um, and it probably became um, a problem for him, right? That yeah. extreme hatred was almost used against him yep. at times. So, I don't know. There's a lot that I liked about this movie. I had never even heard yeah. of this one. And I like to think of myself as like, oh, I know 80s movies. I'm fairly well in the know about 80s in particular. Not, mm-hmm. not like you. You kind of know like all movies all the time, always. I forget a lot of stuff. Um, but I will say that, ge- generally speaking, 80s movies are kind of my jam and, like, indie film. Right. Um, and I kind of – I had never heard of this. I feel like I kind of failed on this one. And while it's not the best movie I've ever seen, I mean, it was good. Like, yeah. it was good. I enjoyed it. I guess what I didn't like about it – and there's not a ton, mm-hmm. but, like, the – sort of weak setup at the beginning of sure. how we got here. That's probably my biggest complaint, and I mentioned it right when we started yeah. talking, but it's my biggest complaint. And the fact that I would say, huh, and I feel bad saying this because they didn't have the effects in the 80s yeah. that they have now. It would have looked so much more real. But some of the like gunfight scenes oh, and sure. stuff, I mean, it seemed absolutely impossible that nothing happened to him. I think in modern film, another difference would be there would have been points where he was kind of doing certain things and uh, in harm's way. Mm-hmm. I think he probably would have gotten shot in a modern film. Like, they would have allowed for that injury or they right. would have allowed for something to take him down mm-hmm. to see if he... He does get... Mi- he has minor injuries. He gets cut. Well, but... we're talking about cuts and bruises yeah. and if someone were to watch this film, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know But then about again, that. The, the machine guns weren't the same as they are today either back then. But they were automatic... Yeah, yeah. Semi-automatic weapons, right? So this is a little unbelievable, but at the same time, it's the 80s, and and you have to expect that effects and things they would do today. I actually think if this film were to happen today, he would have been injured. Probably. And and then still had to get away or try to get away or make it work or whatever. They would have made him push through with that injury or something. How did you feel about the female leads? So Jane Seymour playing his love interest and and Lauren Hutton playing his Matahari. Actually, they did really well. Like, I thought they both were pretty good in these. It was these. nice yin and yang. Yeah, I think they were both really good in these roles. Jane Seymour was great because you kind of couldn't tell which way she was going with things. Right. There's a scene in the in the bar yep. where the three of them end up at a table. And I honestly couldn't tell, based on Jane Seymour's behavior, whether or not she really meant right. her frustration or she was feigning part it because it was shtick. part of a, a shtick. Yeah. So, and I still kind of don't know, to be honest. I mean, she actually well, she seemed pretty pissed. But we don't know. And I know. feel like it was legit, but we actually don't know. And her character is interesting in that way because there are flip-flops where I'm like, I'm not sure she's in on it or not. Yeah. But he clearly told her things about his life, which I also think I don't know how that would have gone in modern film. In modern film, I think it would have been much less likely that she would have been in on anything. And she just, know. like, wouldn't have wouldn't have known. Right. But I thought it was interesting that... 
I lost track mm-hmm. of whether or not she was in on it or not. Mm-hmm. And then what about Warren Hutton? Yeah, she seems like perfect for that role. Other than the fact that I thought she did not have the right accent for this, because I'm not sure. sure if she was supposed to be a German at the embassy or she was supposed to be an English person who was working in the German for embassy the or what. Like, that was never totally clear. Right. Um, she certainly she had, had the look. Kari uh, von Fursten is yeah. a very, to me, German yeah. name, so mm-hmm. I would have assumed she would have been a German. Yeah. So the accent wasn't the greatest, um, but she definitely played the role well, the and I thought stuff, she yeah. was well cast in that. Yeah. Well, she was almost scary. I was like, which was oh, kinda, I kind of creeping liked. me out. Yeah. And, and you, you wouldn't think of it, but there, there was a lot of um, sexual attention in the film. There's a lot of new... Well, I, no, I wouldn't say a Actually, lot. Actually, there is some gratuitous nudity yeah, in this it film. It is the 80s. It is the 80s, but it's funny. It was a different type. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It was almost a little bit more classy nudity, I guess. I guess to, so. Yeah, I guess I would say that. Yeah. It like, probably was. Like, it was all... It kind of meant to be there. So. Yeah. I mean, the just, beginning was more of the fun one. Well, that it? actually... I don't want to give away. Yeah. I want people to see that scene, yeah. but... It actually was funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, I thought, oh, my God, like, is it seriously? But yeah. it was it was cheap and it was kind of funny. And it did work. And I, I can't even complain about it. It was so stupid, but it actually was funny. So without giving it away, were you surprised by the ending? Yes and no. Okay. I kind of figured some version of what occurred okay. would occur sure. based on the characters, based on what I expected made sense. But you didn't film. see how they were, the setup coming like that, how they um, did it? Not exactly. Okay. I, I felt some, I definitely felt something like that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but how it was going to happen and what it was going to look like, not exactly. Okay. Well, that's good. You know, that, that kept I, I'm, I'm pretty, I was pretty certain going into that, like, all right, this is going to get flipped on its head. Yeah. But but in a way, again, there were just, an, an, just enough like flips in this that it wasn't wholly predictable. Which is good. Which, which is good. I, this was a good one. I, I feel like after you gave me good luck chuck you <laughs> felt really guilty and you're like i'm just gonna try not to give her the worst films ever i tried and, and, kicking and, and screaming and you kicked and screamed out of it well i didn't exactly kick and scream yeah. i just kind of like rejected it over this because this sounded more interesting but i, I have to thank you because you yeah. have given me some really good yeah interesting films that i hadn't seen i had seen her alibi but yeah. i enjoyed house of games house of games this one and House of Games are two films I didn't know anything about, mm-hmm. had never even heard of, and I really liked David Mamet, so yeah. I didn't even know that he made that movies. film. Both 80s movies. Both 80s movies. Both had some very significant 80s star power in them. Yep. And both were really good. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't say they're the best movies I've ever seen. I would say they were good. But they don't and have really, to be the best movie no. I've ever seen. and I enjoyed them, and I would recommend both of them. This one, I just wish they had a couple of scenes where they flushed... Mm-hmm. The prequel, I get out that a little better. I get that. But then again, that would have probably added twenty to thirty minutes to the film, and there's something nice about this being an hour and forty minutes. No, no, no. I agree. I wouldn't have wanted it to add time. Mm-hmm. But if if he and they had a quick you know, discussion the Peter about Peter Bree's yeah. character could have just had five more minutes mm-hmm. on the backstory, some way to that's fair. Have thrown that in, it would have been clearer. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing that lacked was this idea of like why he's there. Why are you in this predicament? What did you do that got you so indebted? And you know, another another thing that was a little bit confusing. There's one other part. Tom Selleck's character Nick Lasseter gets brought into a lineup, which yeah, yeah, is where we can, see yeah. and meet the Bob Hoskins, you know, character for no. the first time. I find that scene to be a little bit confusing. If just a it little is. more time was spent on 
how he got in that predicament, why they would pull him into this lineup, and maybe they had give a little background, you know, or could give a little background about what he did before and how he ended up there. They could have done it right after that scene, yeah. and it wouldn't have had to been more than five minutes, and mm-hmm. I think it would have cleared up any questions. Right. That's the only thing. I, You know, when I first saw the film, I thought it was the husband and wife that he had robbed initially because she, she got pissed at him for not staying. Exactly. But, it, but that's actually not the case. No. They just set it all up so they could get him get him on the team, so to speak, right. so that he could uh, work for the uh, Scotland Yard. So. And what was confusing, too, was that the older gentleman who yeah. was in, sh- they were like in shadow the whole yeah. time. So I did keep thinking that yeah, that was going to turn out to be the old guy, and it wasn't. Yeah. So, so, so something in there could have changed and been better explained, mm-hmm. and I think it would have cleared up all question. Yep. It just, it needed like five more minutes. Yep. To clear it up. That's, I think an hour 45 would have been acceptable. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. Um, you, you don't watch a ton of older films, but this is kind of the perfect film that would have been like Cary Grant could have played this because he plays suave and he oh, could yeah. also. Um, and you've never seen To Catch a Thief, but there's have this is, I wouldn't say borrowed heavily, but definitely the premise of a cat burglar you think of To Catch a Thief. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I know enough about Cary Grant to be like, yeah, like yeah. he would have been perfect for this, right? right? Like this would have been his jam. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah, it really was cool. Like all the moments where Tom Selleck's doing his burglar thing, I love how quiet it was. It truly yeah. was no sound. Like it was really. There was no score. There was just nothing happening. Which is kind of nice. And I, it is kind of nice because I don't know how it would have been done in modern film, but probably not like that. Well, the the score can be great because it can also accentuate moments without saying anything. But sometimes you just want the viewer to go along with what's going on in the silence it, because it really was silent. Yeah, it told the story a little better. Yeah, yeah. So you you agree that this is a, a one to check out if you've never seen. I would. I didn't even know about this film. Well, you're welcome. It's from 84, yes, thank yeah. you. And uh, I did think that this one was good. If no one's seen this before or you're a Tom Selleck fan or you like period pieces, you should see it. I actually kind of forgot it was made in the 80s while watching it. Like, it's easy to forget yeah, about it. Yeah, which is good. Except for maybe how it physically feels Mm -hmm. because that's obviously not what a modern movie being made about the 40s would look and feel like except for the fact it was in the 80s but it's not distracting at all no i mean i am pleasantly surprised how much i i liked this one and i would definitely recommend if nobody's seen it or even heard of it it's worth looking at but keep in mind that beginning gets a little that's fine confusing but not enough to ruin the film for it i don't think it ruins the film I, i think most people who are fairly decent at like breaking apart plots we'll get to it you oh, yeah. know, this idea that like obviously he's done this before obviously he's been on law enforcement's radar yeah they know he's the best guy to kind of get them where they need to yeah. get with this but i wish that was clear because it just would have made it a better film and and frankly i think way back when i think people were more adept at watching films like this and getting films better yeah. i think today almost everything needs to be hit over your head because everyone's watching 15 second tiktok videos so. well people's attention span Are is no. of a gnat. yeah but i will say tom Selleck was great in this yeah. he looked like classic tom Selleck. i think he was well cast in this role and yeah. he's good at this stuff he's i mean a, he's just a genuinely uh, likable yeah. actor yeah yeah he is a true kind of gentleman in a way but also like a badass so yeah. he he makes both sides and you know oh another thing i loved about this yeah i loved the fashion in this his mm. his outfits the the dapperness with mm-hmm. which he like walked around i mean he he's 
his outfits were better than the, the women's outfits <laughs> in this. They were just really sharp, really on point, made him look like, you know, the picture of class. And then when we actually got to see the house that he had, I adored those mm-hmm. green leather, like studded wingback chairs. Oh my gosh, I want them. So good. He had, he had great taste. He really had great taste. Yep. Well, put it on your Amazon list. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Check it out. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.